when you become an adult, your credit is going to be pretty much, it's your adult report card. It's basically telling people how you pay people back. Credit gives us availability to cash. We use credit to buy assets. Money is a tool that you send out. It's a soldier that you send out and it has to come back and bring back more soldiers. It's going to be easier for you to get access to $100,000 than it ever will be to save it. Once you have access to money and access to capital, then you start employing that capital. And this when you start getting assets and you start building and you start building income streams. That's the voice of Gerard J. Restaino, a serial entrepreneur who has spent years developing expertise in the areas of personal and business credit. Gerard's playbook can help anyone establish better credit so that they can gain access to more investment capital. He has put these strategies into action in his own life to purchase seven properties so far using mostly other people's money. He shares his best tips and hacks in this informative conversation. I know you'll enjoy getting to know Gerard J. Restaino. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am with Gerard J. Restaino today. And Gerard sold Cutco back in 2010, 2011. Worked with Brian Stevenson, legendary Vector Cutco division manager nowadays. And Gerard was working in Mississippi at that time. He ran a branch in 2011. He graduated from Ole Miss in 2014. And it has become a serial entrepreneur, primarily focused on real estate investing. He has also uh, developed an expertise in the area of credit, which is something we're going to talk about and develop a lot today. I want to shout out to Liz Stevenson and thank you for introducing us for today's episode. Gerard, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. I'm so excited to be here. Cutco really changed my life. And I tell anybody who, I tell people that all the time. Man, I can't wait to just tell my story and talk to you. Well, let's get into it, man. Take us back to 2010. How'd you get started with Cutco? So I was actually a mailer. So I got a letter in the mail and I just saw that make $15 an appointment. I was actually working at Borders. So I had just graduated high school and I guess I drove my mom crazy. She was like, you need to go get a job. Like she had just done a huge, like she just threw a huge party for me for my graduation party. And she says I was ungrateful. So she, I, I guess I drove her nuts. And she was like, go get a job. Like, leave me alone. So I was dating myself here. I actually had a job at Borders. So it was a pretty cool job. And it was really like low stress. Just put things, books back on shelves. And I learned how to like classify bookshelves and stuff like that. And I got a job and I saw, I went to the interview with Cutco because it said we're really flexible. And it was just saying like, oh, $15 an appointment, very flexible hours. So me being like an 18 year old, I told my manager at Borders that, oh, I got another interview for a job, but don't worry. It's really, really flexible. And I'm still going to be able to work here. It's just nothing. And I told him I'm going on another interview. I was really, I planned on working still at Borders. And next thing you know, the next week I wasn't on the schedule anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was all I had. So, yeah. I the hard way. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You had to burn the bridges, man, and, uh, and just uh, take Cutco seriously right from the start. That's positive. Well, what were some of the experiences that uh, were most memorable from that first summer? That first summer? So my first summer, I don't remember, like, you probably could tell me more. I don't know if training, but a lot of things are virtual now. I was talking to guys a couple of months ago, but 
it used to be training used to be like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you go right into the weekend so you can get a lot of appointments. So my first weekend, I went two for 10 and I sold like two individual knives, maybe like a, a trimmer and a spatula spreader. And I was just like, well, at least I made $150 for the appointments. And that first summer, I was just like, man, and then we had advanced training. You come in for like advanced training. And Brian, I still remember that. I remember that office, everything. And Brian was training me. Brian did train me. And I came in the next week. I sold like two homemakers and the ultimate. And then I was like, I saw that commission check and it was like, say less. I was off to the races because the reason why I tell people that Cutco changed my life is because it showed me that I no longer had to trade time for money. And that is yeah. so huge because I could sell something and make, it was like 30% of thousand dollar knives and you're making 300 bucks an hour. And I don't have to put books on shelves or work fried chicken at Raisin Cane's. That was my second job. I didn't have to do that anymore. So that was amazing to me through that first summer. And then of course, I think I started right at SC1, but then SC2, that push and just that commitment of SC2, Elizabeth was there. A lot of Stephen Williams, um, a lot of just Kyle Jones, a lot of just really people that killed it in the business. We used to always go to Memphis and like Bill Street and hang out with uh, East Memphis, the hustlers. They still have that chance. So shout out to Mark Bullard. And that was an amazing first summer, just pure joy. That's all I can remember. Nothing but fun that first summer, man. And we, we built like, I got to know like all of the other side of Jackson with the PR program. Brian Stevenson always was like a beast with the PR program. So he was, kill- he was recruiting guys out of uh, Jackson, like the prep schools and like JA Jackson prep. So I got to meet all these different people that I would later go on to college with like Will Boone and I met so many people through Cut Cup because, man, Brian is a recruiting animal. So I'm just a people person and I love meeting people. So that was an amazing first summer. That's cool. That's cool. I think it's cool that you started out two for 10, a little bit of struggles at the beginning. I have the exact same story, Gerard. My first weekend, I was two for seven until advanced training one. Two for seven, I sold 188 CPO. (laughs) And then I came to, I can't, yeah, I came to advanced training one. And it was sort of like they flipped the lights on after advanced training one. I got it. Mm-hmm. After AT1, I went 21 for 22 oh, in wow. the rest in the rest of my fast start. But I still sold like all small orders. Like there's not, there was no ultimate setback then. I sold one homemaker, but there was no ultimate, you know. So I didn't definitely sell as much as you did in my fast start. But I had the same, that same struggles at the very beginning that I turned around pretty quickly. Yeah. So it's cool that you had that experience that first summer. It's crazy you bring it back all these words that I haven't thought of in years, like CPO, commission paid on, and fast. <laughs> like, wow, I haven't heard of these. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, but it's funny that you're bringing these words up. And I'm like, wow, I know those words. <laughs> I know. You speak the lingo, man. You speak the lingo for sure. So you went, you went straight from rep your first summer to branch your second summer, right? Yes. Yes. That's what I did. I really didn't have a choice. That's one thing like this, you're being a, you're like a manager still. So you probably already know this, just get them to the next event. That's like some kind of like, well, I'm getting kind of advanced into like the brand summer, but that's really what Brian did, which is get these reps to events and you'll keep them because they're going to have an amazing time. Like, so to answer your question, Brian was just like, you're going to be a branch manager. And they just sold me like, you're going to get this much experience. You're going to run your own office. I actually got college credit to run my branch too. So at Ole Miss and it's just my first summer. Brian was like, you're going to be a branch. You're going to be a branch. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just kept going to meetings. And I'm just thinking about all the people, me and Trevor Hanlon. I don't know if you know Trevor. He lives in New York City now, but uh, he used to be Mark's Dom. And we used to ride together to Memphis. And we used to always be taking these trips to Memphis. And Memphis is only about 45 minutes. That was our division office. So it was only about 45 to an hour from uh, Ole Miss. So we used to always be going to Memphis. And I just became, Brian was like, you're going to be a branch. And I just ended up knowing it. So went straight from selling to being a branch. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned to me that you know you learned a ton from your branch manager experience. What what do you feel you learned that is still applicable to this day for you? I would say the first thing would be that in any type of business, you're not going to be able to do it alone. So Brian Stevenson has a sister named Claire. Claire had was going to Delta State at the time. So we were in Cleveland, Mississippi, and Delta State was there. So Claire actually let me, she just told me, like, here's my sorority sister. She was my receptionist, but I know they have a different word in the Cutco world. What's that word called? Uh, PRA or something like that. Yeah, yep. yeah so she was going to be that. And I remember her name's Lauren. And shout out to Lauren. That was my, my, my receptionist. But that one person, it's like 
if you want to, it's like that saying, if you want to go somewhere fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. But it was just me and my receptionist. And she brought, like, she was a beast. And she was like, she worked like none other. And part of the reason why is because I didn't take any taxes out of her check. So I was just paying her straight cash. I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I didn't know. I was 19 years old at that time. And, but she was a beast. You can even ask Jennifer, uh, it used to be Jennifer Maxson, but it's, she's Jennifer Bullard now. She was like, yo, you're your reception is, is amazing. And if you fast forward now, you know, almost 11 years later, I've tried to go at businesses alone and I just, I, I go nowhere fast. So now I have, you know, six assistants now. And it's just like, I'm not at it. Like even now my main assistant, her name's Gladys and she handles everything. So I still have my Lauren to this day. And that's one of the biggest things I learned from branch managing is that imagine if I was trying to recruit reps, train them, and call them on the phone, you know, like I wouldn't have last, I probably would have last two weeks. And it's the same thing in the business world. I'm not going to, you're not going to be able to do anything on your own. And that's probably the biggest thing that that's me thinking about it now, because say for instance, we'll talk about credit later, but when I did it on my own, I was like, I'm done with this. But so when I redid it again, it was like, I'm going to do credit again. I hired an assistant and I have multiple assistants now, over six of them. So it's not just me. When you see me on Instagram, it's not just me doing things. It's a team. Teamwork makes the dream work. So that's the, probably, if I had to say that one thing that I learned from my branch management, that would probably be it because, you know, we make a lot more money now because it's a team. It's not just all me. That's a great, great insight, Gerard, being able to have key teammates that uh, make a big difference in your ability to get all the things done that you have to get done. And I see here just from looking up some stats that your team recruited 105 people that summer, 105 reps launched from training. So you guys were, you guys were working hard together to build a big team. And that's, uh, that's really, really positive. So nice job. That's awesome that you still have the data. You can go back and you're probably on Vector Connect or something. And, uh, uh, Oh, shout out to someone named Rachel Weaver in Olean, who does all of this research for me all the time with every guest. Oh, I went to Olean too. Uh, You went to Olean? Nice. Olean, man. That was so, we went to Niagara Falls. I still go back and reminisce that. It was so much fun. Yeah, man. So many memories. I'm going just reminiscing now, man. Olean was an amazing trip. Like seeing that manufacturing plant. So when I went to Ole Miss, I actually have a minor in manufacturing engineering. So being able to go and look at that, that plant and and, Olean really supports that city of, uh, I mean, the Cutco really supports Olean, those those people in Olean, and it's amazing. And I was in upstate New York, and man, shout out, I know Chelsea Banks. I mean, I was on a flight with Chelsea Banks. I mean, I know she's still a, uh, she's still, she's a professional, CSP. She's a CSP now, so. Oh, yeah. One of the top ones in the company now. Yeah. Shout out to Chelsea. I haven't talked to her in a while, but she was, uh, I remember going to Olean with her and being on flights with her and her sleeping on my shoulder and telling me about Mark Ingram because she was to Alabama. So we're we're dating ourselves, man. Some kids probably don't even know who Mark Ingram is now. <laughs> <laughs> didn't he win? Did he win the Heisman Trophy when he was at Alabama? Yeah, he did win the Heisman. She was like, "Yeah, Mark's right here. I text him all the time. Roll Tide." Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, hey, uh, you know, before we jump into your post Cutco career, any other lessons that stand out from your days with Cutco? Wow, I would just say. Just being consistent. I mean, Cutco just showed me so many different things of just show up. That's what, like what the pushes show you. If you just show up and do the work, you'll get the results, you know, and sales. I fell in love with sales after Cutco. So I just know that it's a numbers game. And that's that's one thing that it taught me. Perseverance, not giving up on yourself, on your goals, on your dreams. I learned so much by teaching. Teaching, once you're teaching and training, I became such a better salesman. And the one thing that I still do to this day that Cutco taught me was the importance of reading. Because once I started reading and applying, we talked about this, about the book that you actually participated in, The Cutting Edge. Once I started reading all these sales books and sharpening the knife, I took my sales game to another level. And I was able to maximize on that uh, straight 50. Because branches back then, I don't know if it's still like this today, but branches after you branch, you have the opportunity, like you get straight 50% of everything you sell. So I took advantage. I took, I saw like another 10 to 12,000 after that, the second summer as well, that, that was amazing. So that's just the things I learned from Cutco. And I just, I'm just grateful for Cutco to teach me, introduce me to, to selling at a young age, because once you get into the corporate world, when you first graduate college, 
the only jobs that are really paying anything worth anything are sales jobs anyway. So I've never went without because I always knew that I could sell. And then also Cutco gave me like a battery. It gassed me up so much that you're not going to tell me I can't sell. Like, and when you, it's like in sports, you know, when you're in high school, your coach is always trying to tell you like, you're not ready for varsity. You're not ready for varsity. And they're always hype up varsity. And when you get to varsity, it's like, I've been ready for this. And the same thing with sales. When I first got into like sales job after college, they're going to try to tell me like, do you understand how much, how many knives I've sold? You're not going to tell me I can't sell this market research to these people. It's not even their own money. It's the company's money. So I feel like Cutco, I always, it gave me that belief. And that's half the battle. If you believe, all you got to do is show up. So, man, I love Cutco. I love it. Nice. So, so hey, yeah, tell me uh, how you got into real estate investing. So I was born in Chicago and my grandparents, I'm, both of my grandparents are immigrants. Well, actually my parents are too. So my parent, one of them is from, my dad's from Haiti, was born in Haiti. My mom was born in Cuba. So my grandparents on my mother's side, when they moved to America in 1970, they moved to Miami at first because that's like the place where all Cubans go. And my grandfather actually moved to Chicago. And the only reason why he moved to Chicago was for the Cubs. He used to listen to the Cubs all the time. So he loved the Cubs. He's buried in a Cubs hat. I kid you not. It's a Cubs hat, like in his, in his casket. So in the seventies, my grandparents bought a three flat. So it's like one, two, three units, like in a, a three unit house in Chicago in a neighborhood called Humble Park. And that's where I grew up. And then from there, so it's three units and it has a basement as well. So it's actually four units. So they bought that house in the seventies for like 60 grand. And now that same building, it used to be, they bought two buildings, but now that same, so it's a building and a lot now. And it's well, it's worth way over like $1.5 million now, but probably it might be getting closer to 2 million the way real estate is going up. So from then I grew up in Chicago and I never, in Chicago, it's kind of like New York city. Like most people don't grow, we do have single family homes, but I always lived in apartments. So I always knew like, Man, so my aunt who owns the buildings now, I was like, man, I could I could live in one unit and rent it out and be living for free. So once I graduated from college, I did move to, I actually worked for Dom, I mean, not for Dom. I worked for Brian that summer after I graduated from college. I was his division office, his uh, sales manager, like his right-hand man. And uh, we did like 372000 that summer. And after then, I was just like, I had to get out of Mississippi. So I moved to Nashville for a year and I had a fuel car sales job. And then I was like, you know what? I was paying rent for a year. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get back to Chicago because I can live in one unit and rent out the other one. And then I can like every dollar that came to me was my money. I didn't have. So I didn't have any student loans or anything of that nature. So I knew that I could house hack. And that's what really got me into real estate was being able to live in one unit and rent out the next. And I've seen my family do it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to get into it. I always ask behind questions and you know, she let me know things and here I am later. So Yeah, yeah. Well, so listen, I, I know that you have strived to build your portfolio using 100% or close to 100% other people's money and that to do this takes extremely good credit, right? Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about how people build good credit. What stands out first? So building good credit would have to be, it's just really... When you become an adult, your credit is going to be pretty much, it's your adult report card. It's basically telling people how you pay people back. And to build good credit, I would say the, the first thing I would tell people is younger people would say, ask your parents, how's their credit? Kids these days, to first establish credit, they can just, their parents can put them onto their credit cards, what we call authorized users. And that way, say for instance, my little sister, she just got like a $10,000 Chase Sapphire Reserve but half of that comes from her being on my mom's credit cards for all these years and actually establishing credit scores. That would be the first step I would tell anybody because it's free and your parents and you can let them know that like, look, I don't need a credit card. I don't need to be on the car. I don't want to, I don't want the car. I just want the history that you piggyback off of your history that you've been using. I would say that's the first step is, you know, piggybacking off of authorized users and hopping on your parents' credit or a family member that has good credit and be able to piggyback off of their history. Okay. So a young person can become an authorized user on their parents' credit card account, even if they don't have the card, even if they're not charging anything themselves, they're able to piggyback off the history of their parents to build, begin to build their credit score. Exactly. And one thing, some people's parents are going to be like, well, you know, I don't want you to have access to my account and you won't. 
They won't have access. You can tell them, like, don't even send me a card. Or if you get the card, tell them you'll cut it up in front of their face. That would be the first step to where you can piggyback off the history. Then from there, say for students, they have a lot of student cards to where, like, say Discover has a student card. But also, if one thing, people who are actually selling Cutco, people make a lot of money selling Cutco. And one thing that they could do to start establishing credit would be to use Navy. It's a, um, a credit union called Navy Federal. And anybody... Technically, people who only have like extension from the military can join, but you can join Navy Federal, say that your grandparents were in the military and that you don't have their information and they'll let you join the uh, Navy Federal Credit Union. Once you join Navy Federal, they have what they what you call a pledge loan. So a pledge loan is what you call a secured loan. And with the secured loan, a secured loan is basically you're securing a loan with your own money. So people who are selling Cutco, making a lot of money, if they want to start establishing credit, you can go to Navy Federal, get a secured loan. And then say, let's just use $1,000. You give them $1,000, they write you a check back for $1,000. Then from there, you write them, you pay 90% of that credit, that that, uh, that loan off, and you'll start, you'll have like a little bit of a payment. So about $100 in payment, but you'll have that monthly paying on that loan. And then you'll start establishing credit that way. And you can do that multiple different times. And the bigger, the bigger that, the more money that you have, the more you can, can kind of like say finesse the system to where you'll be able to, start establishing scores because now you don't have a you don't have that big of a loan payment and you're just paying on it like pennies on the dollar but you're establishing credit and say for instance if you have a thousand dollars if you have five thousand you're going to get the money back already but you're starting to establish credit and start establishing good payment history so if you do that two times and you get on your parents now you already have three positive accounts so this is something people can do through pretty much any credit union i would assume right it doesn't have to be navy federal right doesn't it doesn't have to be through Navy Federal? That's a great question. But the reason why I mentioned Navy Federal is because Navy Federal is not going to do an inquiry. So an inquiry is when people are checking to see your credit. Now, if you have too many inquiries, the bank is going to the bank and the way bankers look at that is why are you looking for so much money? What's wrong with you? Why do you need to? Why are you constantly looking for money? You kind of look desperate. So the reason why Navy Federal is so important is because they're not, they're not going to do it with a credit inquiry. That's why I mentioned that particular bank. But most banks are going to do credit. Like you can get a secure loan at any bank. But the reason why I mentioned Navy Federal in particular is because they're not going to do an inquiry. Okay. So. Okay. What else is there? Like, uh, give me some more. Oh, you want some more? <laughs> cool. So I would say, so... Just by using those, you can, you'll start, let's say you do two secure loans, that you have two accounts, you have a parent account, that's three positive accounts. The next thing that you can do is a, it's a, it's a company called Rental Karma. So say for instance, you're in college or another hack you could do is, so there's a company called Rental Karma and I'm blanking on the next, Rent Reporters, Rent Reporters and Rental Karma. So you can go back and report your rent payments up to two years prior. So that gives you back pay of two years. Now, if you do not have pay, if you don't pay rent, another hack that you can do, you can use your parents' home to where, and if they ask questions or if they ask the parents, they can say, well, they're must, they were renting a they were renting a room. Now you have two secure loans. You have your parent, let's say your mom and your mom and your dad both have a credit card. So where they put you on, now you're at five total primary, like to, not primary, it's five total accounts that you're showing history now. Now you can go out and start getting credit cards and travel hacking and a lot of different things that people talk about on the internet, but that's five accounts right there. So there's another app called SelfLender. So basically what this, this is another one. So this is the six account. The six account that you can get is called SelfLender. You start to add, uh, to, you start with 25 bucks and you pay them 25 bucks a month and they report to the three credit bureaus. And then from there, you you can sign up for like two years. So you pay them 25 bucks a month. And then after two years, they cut you a check for whatever you've been paying them. So it works as a savings account. So now you have two secured loans. Your your parent, where your mom and your dad put you on a credit card, and you have two rental payments. So that's six now. And now you have a self lender account. So that's seven different accounts that you're starting to establish credit with. And then there's another one. I'm gonna give you eight accounts. I'm actually give you all ten. And um, the eighth account would be it's called Credit Strong. It works just like self lender, and you you just pay them every month. You pay them every month, but they work as a savings account. So now you're getting, you're establishing credit and you're starting to, you're using it as a savings account as well. So you're killing two birds with one stone. And then from there, uh, those are, they work self-lender and credit strong. They work the exact same way. So now you're able to utilize those. There's two more I want to tell you about. So that's like, I'm giving you like 
an ultimate blueprint to where you'll start to have 10 primary accounts on your credit and you've went from having no credit to having a full credit profile. And um, there's another one called the extra credit card. So they they work like a kind of like a bank account, but they report to the three bureaus. It's free. They don't have any credit inquiries. And then there's another one called a Tomo credit card. And um, Tomo works. They, they basically like you spend money and then they use a balance that they report to the bureaus and then you pay it and then they report good payments as well. So I've charged a good amount of money for people to get this information, but you could take this information and run with it to where now you have over 10 accounts to where you have 10 accounts that you're showing. You went from, if you do this at 18, by the time you're 28, you keep it going. We haven't even mentioned getting unsecured credit cards. We're just talking about just establishing initial credit. Yeah. It's just establishing initial credit for you and with less inquiries. So yeah. So some of the things you've referenced here, let's just try to recap this here. Getting set up as an authorized user on your parents' credit card, even if you're not using the card, that can help. There are student cards at places like Discover that can be good to start with. Going to a credit union and getting a secured loan, that can help. Rental karma or rent reporters, right, can backdate rental payments up to two years to be able to show evidence of paying your bills on time. There's self lender and credit strong. And then you said extra credit card and Tomo credit card. Yep. Yep. And these are all ways of being able to get an account, even if you're not using the account in many of these cases, that will establish you as somebody who's credit worthy and can help build your credit score in your early days. I just gave the full blueprint. That's the full blueprint to go from zero to 100 in no time to where it's some more it's some more secured loans that you can get as well but to get no inquiries because you don't want to, the thing about this program is you don't want to get inquiries because inquiries are going to slow you down because people are going to be like, you know, why are you inquiring for so much money? You know? Yeah. So can people have inquiries removed? Of course. Yes, you can definitely get inquiries removed. More times than not, the tried and true way to get things off of your credit report is going to be mailing letters. I know people don't want to hear that, but here's a little secret when it comes to credit. When, say, for instance, when Credit Karma or the Experian app, they say, you know, you can dispute through our app. You can dispute your app. One thing that they're not telling you is that you are waiving a lot of your rights that you have as citizens from just when you use that electronic app. So that's why that's one reason why they want you to do it because it's not going to remove anyway. And these data furnishers, that's all the credit bureaus are like Experian, TransUnion, Equifax, they're just data furnishers. It costs them money to remove things. So they want to keep things on your credit report versus taking them off. But pretty much everybody has misinformation on their credit report. They just haven't seen it or they don't know it yet. So right, right. I can remember Gerard getting my credit reports back in the old days when it was actually pretty tough to get them and then reading through and being like, what is that? Like, why is that there? And so I think it's instructive for everybody to make sure that you are actually getting your credit report annually. I know there's a way that you can review your three credit reports annually for free. And that's something that people should be doing for sure. And what is the credit score people should be shooting for if they want to have you know, the doors of opportunity open to them investment-wise? I would say to answer your question directly, 720 and above. 720 and above is the blueprint to where, okay, I know I'm doing good. But from there, you have what you call FICO scores. Now, there's an app called MyFICO. MyFICO is going to show you everything, everything that the lender, like the car dealerships, everything they're going to see. They're going to, it's MyFICO. It costs like $30 a month. When you use that app, it's going to show you everything the bank sees. The Credit Karma is not, it's like their their vanity scores. They're not really real scores. But I will say that Credit Karma is good to figure out like where I stand as far as my data points go. Because data point, it's not more about a credit score, it's more about the data. That's why I gave you guys 10 primary accounts to where you can build your credit report up. You do that, you do that and become financially responsible. There's nothing that you cannot do because it's more about like understanding like what I can do with this money versus like spending it on dumb stuff that most kids do. But um, yeah, seven twenty. Answer your question. Seven twenty. Seven twenty is like the blue, like seven twenty and above. Yeah, where you won't want to be for credit score. That's good. What now? So what if someone has bad credit? What if we're talking about they're not eighteen, they're twenty one, they're twenty five, they're thirty plus. And they've made mistakes and their credit score is below 720 or in some cases way below 720. What are some of the 
tips for fixing bad credit? So say, for instance, a lot of things, I would say the, the first thing would be actually pull your credit report. So I use apps like uh, ID Club, Identity IQ. I know that, like, like you mentioned earlier, you can get three free credit reports uh, each year. I don't really use those, but it's like, that used to be the old school way. But now we have all these different apps that you can pay for. But so the first thing I would say was call the credit bureaus. We'll pull your credit report and see, like, actually look at it. Because most people don't even look at their credit report. So you look at it and like, okay, this is wrong. This is wrong. More times than not, it's going to be wrong names, wrong addresses. The first step would be to remove all of that wrong information because a lot of stuff that are, a lot of accounts that are tied to you are going to be, like, associated with different names and different addresses. You remove those, then you can start going through the dispute process. And it just depends on, like, what exactly. One thing I want to say is that no two credit reports are the same and no dispute process is the same. We can get down a rabbit hole of credit repair, but I would just say the first step is actually pulling your credit report, seeing what's wrong on there. Because some people, like, there's been data breaches, like the Equifax data breach. There's been so many different things that where, like, people can be affected to where you never know what's on your credit report until you pull it. And it's like, how many times have people gone to get a mortgage before? And, like, that's not me, you know? Like, it's been so many different times of people doing that. So I would say pull your credit report. And then there's so much information on the internet to where you can deep dive to where you can just, just it's the, the try that you raise, you're going to have to mail letters because mail letters. And one thing I will say, you can actually, the credit bureaus actually have people that they have to report to. So they report to what we call the CFPB. And it's like the, that's where consumers like you and I, where they there to protect us, the CFPB. And if you can file a complaint on different things using the CFPB and let them know, like, this is wrong, this is not me. And that's a, that's, that should be your consumer's best friend as well. So a combination of letters, of writing letters and telling them what's wrong, and it's not like letting them know it's not you, and then the CFPB. So remember that, the CFPB, Consumers Federal Protection Bureau, I think is what it stands for. Okay. Okay. So the first step, though, for everybody is definitely make sure you're getting your credit report and you're reading it. And you know what's on there on a regular basis, right? Keep up on that. It really matters when it comes to the big purchases you may make and investing that you may make. I mean, you might go buy a car and want to use a car loan to get that car. And if you have 720 plus, the interest rate is a percentage point or even two lower than if you don't have good credit. You might want to go buy a house at some point. And again, like you literally can make a half a percent difference or more based on your credit score, what loan you get. And that over, you know, the purchase of a house paying over 15 or 30 years can literally mean tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in your pocket or out of your pocket based on how good your credit score is. So this is like, this is something that's super important to focus on. Gerard, my financial advisor, who is the financial advisor to many uh, Vector's elite managers, Adam Stock. Uh, oh, I know Adam. He, he did my yeah, lives there in Evanston. Yeah. And I'll never forget Adam talking about, about credit one time at one of our events. And he said, messing up your credit when you're young can be about as impactful on your life as having an unexpected child. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Like if you're 21 right now and you think about the idea of having an unexpected child and how drastic that could change your life, like you get it, right? But understanding that like messing up your credit can be that drastic as well. So this is stuff that's critical knowledge I appreciate that you've opened the playbook here and shared a bunch of stuff that people can do. And everyone is listening. You can take whatever of Gerard's ideas you feel like apply to you and put them into action. It doesn't necessarily have to be every single one of those ideas, but uh, but take and, and apply what you feel like uh, you want to do that makes sense to you. So cool stuff, man. It's funny you brought up Adam. He's still rocking with you guys all these years later. He's been he's been doing you guys' financial advising for at least 12, 12 years now. But it's funny you brought him up because his services, I paid extra for his services, the, the summer I branched. And like they have that system where it's like everything goes in there, like all your expenses. It's just like amazing. And um, when I did my taxes, it was just like, bang, bang. It was just like, here, here, here. I did all my books, like here, 
tell Adam I appreciate him from a yeah. client from 2011. That's <laughs> called Rising Stock. That service, yeah, and uh, most of our most of our young people use Rising Stock, so it's a gateway into uh, working with Adam uh, on some of the bigger stuff later. So nice, nice. Well, so listen, Gerard, there's been a lot of uh, information here. I want to have people understand like exactly how this can really benefit them specifically. So you have leveraged what we've just talked about and you've been able to do this to purchase seven properties of your own at this point with a little or no money down of your own. How have you done that? So after I got my first property, I got to utilize an FHA loan, which is a government-backed loan to where you have to put down three and a half percent. So I knew that having two, it was a two unit, but it had a full empty basement that I knew that I could value at. I knew that I could add value to it. So long story short, I was able to add two bedrooms and a bathroom and just a living space. So this, and it became a duplex. So from doing this, I bought the house for 178,000 in 2017. In 2019, it appraised for 305. It's a saying in the real estate world called the Burr method to where it's Buy so you buy under market under market value. You rehab it to add value. You rent it and then you refinance it into like a longer term mortgage and then you repeat. Once you understand the burn method, that's what makes real estate go, and that's why it's so. That's why so much wealth has been produced through real estate is because you can buy an asset, you can leverage money to buy this asset and then beautify it, make it better. But so once I understood the burn method, then I got into buying properties. So I use what you call an asset-based lender. So when I got my first property, the FHA home, I had to give everything short of like my blood type to get it. So I had to work like two years, tax returns, this, that, and the other. What did you do before then? It was a lot to get the home, but you're still getting a home for three and a half percent. So you're leveraging a a $200,000 property for three and a half percent of that. So for $8,000, you get a $200,000 asset. Once I understood that, I was able to be like, okay, I can buy these properties, add value, rent them out, and then refinance and then repeat. So in order to get these type of loans, I don't come from any type of like, I'm like I told you, my parents are immigrants. We're not poor, but we're not rich either. So we're just working class individuals. So once I understood that I could go to an asset-based lender, the asset-based lender is going to show you, okay, say for instance, let's just use simple numbers. You could buy a house for $50,000 house. You can buy the house... They just want to see money in your bank account. So I had the money in my bank account from the refinance of my home. Remember, I was able to refinance, get like $70,000. So with the money that was in my, I can show them like, okay, all they want to see is money. And they want to see an asset that has equity into it. So equity means that like it, it can have more value to it later. Once you show them that, they'll be like, you show them a plan of, you show them a plan of, okay, we're going to do this, that, and the other to make this house better. Then they're going to be like, okay, if you add a new bathroom, new plumbing, new electricity, okay, now the house is worth one hundred and sixty thousand. So now that the house is worth one hundred, you put fifty thousand dollars worth of working tool, you're all in for a hundred grand. Most lenders are going to let you take out seventy five percent of the value of the home, and if you take seventy five percent of one hundred and sixty thousand, that's one hundred and twenty thousand. So not only are you getting your initial money that you took to buy the home, but you also get ten thousand dollars tax free. And if you, and then the last part of the bird method is, you know, repeat, you keep doing that and keep repeating that method and you'll be able to build a portfolio that I built up to seven to where, you know, you will be getting residual income, um, through this method. So I know that's a lot, but it's just the bird method. You can Google it and this is what makes all real estate go. And once I was able to tag team with, with, uh, with the asset-based lender, I was able to put the pieces together. Now you may be thinking, you may be thinking, how does credit come into all of this? Well, let me tell you, credit comes into play because say, for instance, I wasn't able to take that 70, I didn't have that $70,000 in my bank account to show people like, oh, I show these asset-based lenders. You can actually take credit, turn credit into cash to where it's in your bank account to where you can, now you're able to get these loans. Also, another reason why credit comes into play, yes, the asset-based lender We'll give you money to fix the home, but you have to you have to put up that money first. So you have to front the money and then they reimburse you. So that's where credit comes into play because now you're able to, it's just working capital to where you're able to pay your pay your electrician, pay everybody off, and then you get reimbursed. And then from there, 
you'll inherently you'll have high credit card limits because not many people can take like I mean, I don't have a $50,000 credit card now, but not many people can go in and like max out like a $17,000 card and then pay it right back off. And then the credit card company is going to be like, oh, this guy's amazing. So they're going to keep raising your limit. And the more money you have access to, the more real estate you're able to buy. So the yeah. more money just begets more money. So you started with a $178,000 house uh, that you got an FHA loan yes. to be able to purchase. So you had to put three and a half percent down. Yep. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're in eight thousand dollars of your own dollars. Of my own. And, and then you added two bedrooms in the basement of that. Yes. And you've learned a way that you can do that um, with an asset-based lender, where you can get reimbursed for the cost of remodels. Yes. Right. Um, it has to be enough meat on the bone. So it has to be enough. Like. Right. I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but I mean, obviously, you said that that house is worth over three hundred thousand or something now, so that you you, it, you got a lot of appreciation. Um, so and, and then you reference you you call this the Burr method: buy, rehab, rent it out, and then repeat. No, refinance. You refinance. So, oh, sorry. Buy, rehab, refinance, then and repeat. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't Got matter it. if it's a, a, a single family home or a hundred unit property. When you talk about commercial, it's the same formula. It's the same formula. This is what makes real estate go. Once yeah. you understand this, you'll be dangerous. So just to take it back to that first example here and try to bring it full circle for anybody who's listening, you buy a, a say it's $200,000 house. All right. It, yours was 178, 200,000. By the way, everybody who's listening from California right now is laughing. <laughs> there are no $200,000 properties. And yeah. But you know, in a lot of places in, in the country, there are plenty of $200,000 properties. So you buy a $200,000 property, uh, use an FHA loan, you're in three and a half percent for that. You're, you know, seven, eight, $10,000 of your own money is being used here to be able to purchase this property. Then you want to be able to fix up the property, right? To make it more valuable all right. And so you can do that with your own money, but you can also do, you can also get reimbursed by uh, taking advantage of an asset based lender here. And you're increasing the value of the property significantly through this process. So your property goes from 200,000 to 250, or maybe it goes from 200,000 to 300,000. And now you've got this $300,000 property. You can refinance and take out up to 75% of the value, right? When you refinance, right? And then you can translate that money into purchasing the next property, right? Yes. But one thing I want to say is that I was able to fix my home up. But say, for instance, asset-based lender is going to want to deal with like an investment. You see what I'm saying? If you yeah. can prove, if you can prove that with your with your house, if you can prove that, like, okay, I'm not living there, it's an investment. Then they will still lend on it, but say for instance, yeah, yeah, got it. As far as like an ask, they're not going to be like, "Well, you live there. I'm going to give you money to fix it," because they it's kind of against like it's like some thin red lines that you have to go against because it's a mortgage or something like that because it gets written up, it gets written up commercially. But that's like technical, I guess technical technical. But the right. house, yeah, I, I understand you were living in that house, um, and that this applies when you're not living when it's an investment property. I get it. I'm just trying to give an example to people to think about. You know, like. One of my young Cutco people here in the Western region who lives in California, you know, can think about like, well, I could buy a house in Nevada or I could buy a house in Arizona or I could buy a house in some other state, Texas or Indiana or Kentucky that costs $200,000 as a rental. And there's ways that I could parlay that into something bigger and better down the road besides just the traditional buy it and rent it uh, method. So say, for instance, people like in Arizona, so with the asset-based lender, that $200,000 house, what I know now, they'll be able to use credit to buy that house. They can use credit to buy the house. You can take money from your credit card, wire it into escrow, buy that house, be able to add value to it, and then they can do what we call short-term rentals, aka the Airbnb model. In Arizona, they get it's like Florida. They have so much uh, tourism and travel that you'll make more off of just short-term renting that property than you ever would from just a traditional renting. So that's just a way to parlay it. And it all comes together and you get your money back 
and you have an income producing property for you as well. Yeah. It's like playing Monopoly, honestly. Yeah. Cool stuff, man. It sounds like that we've really just scratched the surface here today, Gerard, and that there's a lot of people can learn here. You probably have a lot more information you could share with anybody that wants to learn more from you. How can people follow you if they want to be able to get more information from you? So my name on Instagram is G-S-T-A-I-N-O-O. So it's two O's, G-Staino on Instagram. So I've actually come up with a course that's going to teach you guys everything that I know. It teaches you the credit side of things. It teaches you how to turn credit into cash. Then we can go into really, it's a five-step program. So first we, the first thing we deal with is credit. The second thing we tackle is manufacturer spending. Manufacturer spending is just turning credit into cash. But then the third module is when we get into real estate and we just tackle like the real estate one-on-one. And then fourthly, we talk about asset-based lending. So that's the, the part that me and Dan were just talking about with the asset-based lender. And then lastly, I just teach advanced real estate tactics to where you'll be like tricks of the trade that nobody's going to teach you and you're going to have to learn things I wish I would have known like four years, two, three years ago. And so that's what we, I call the real estate OPM blueprint. If you're interested in that or if you're interested in, in anything credit-wise, we're able to help. You can just text CUTCO, CUTCO to 773-839-6913. And I'll have a special love and, and a special calendar for you, for my Cutco people. And um, that's the way to get in contact with me. I mean, come straight to me and my assistant and my team. But Instagram is going to be the best way to get in contact with me. So G-Stain-O-O, G-S-T-A-I-N-O-O on Instagram, or text Cutco to 773-839-6913 if you want to be able to connect with Gerard. Hey man, the podcast is about changing lives. And what are your thoughts on this? How do you aspire to change people's lives in the future through what you're doing here? So the way I'm going to change lives is through credit. Because one thing that I got into credit through real estate, because I understood that like, okay, the more money I had available to me, the more things I could do with it. So I just want to teach people, and this is what I'm going to do when I speak at SC2 next summer. It's more so telling people like, I'm pretty sure you've heard of this, Dan, but money is a tool that you send out it's a soldier that you sent out and it has to come back and bring back more soldiers. So I'm going to change lives because credit gives us availability to cash. It may sound crazy. I don't want to gas people up, but if you guys just follow the blueprint that I gave you to actually start establishing credit, it's going to be easier for you to get access to a hundred thousand dollars than it ever will be to save it. So once you have access to money and access to capital, then you start employing that capital. And this when you start getting assets and you start building and you start building income streams. So that's how I'm going to be changing lives is more so teaching people that, you know, I don't ever tell people just to use credit to buy stuff and things and things and stuff. No, we use credit to buy assets. You know, that's what we use it for. And that's how I'm going to help people. To answer your question is to be teaching people, teaching the youth, because if you sell Cutco, you're already sharper than I would say 95% of your peers because you know how to sell. And being able to sell is people who don't like sales and understand that they're in sales. We're always selling ourselves on anything. So if you sell Cutco, use Cutco because Cutco will take you to the moon. But then you you combine being have, able to have cash and credit, cash from selling Cutco and credit from just doing what I tell you, the sky's the limit. There's nothing that you cannot do. You said something there that was pretty pretty insightful, which is it's a lot easier to get access to 100000 than it is to save 100000 And for people who want to accelerate this process, there are ways to do it. They got to be smart about it. They got to learn about it. They don't want to just be spending a lot of money that they don't have. But there's a lot of ways to do this right. Obviously, you've learned that. You can help people do that. And that was a great insight. Uh, Gerard, thanks a lot for being here. It's been great. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it so much. Gerard Rostano, hope you enjoyed that. That was really an engaging guest. I enjoyed getting to know Gerard. You can see his enthusiasm for what he's doing here, which is cool. He made a great point toward the end of the conversation, which is that it's easier to get access to 100,000 than it is to save 100,000. That to me is a centerpiece of what he is sharing here, right? Is how can you accelerate the process of being able to get yourself into the real estate investing game and do it in a way that is uh, what I would call proper, not going to necessarily say safe, because anytime you're using credit, 
here for this versus your own money that you saved up. It's a, it's a different ball game, but Gerard has certainly perfected how to do that the right way. He gave a lot of tips on the ways of establishing credit. And then once you've established that credit and you have access to funds or you've saved your own funds or some combination of both, right? Deploy those soldiers for the first time, right? Whether it is purchasing your own property to live in and house hack, renting rooms, purchasing a duplex, renting the nicer unit, living in the smaller one, um, refinancing that property so that you can pull some money out to be able to continue building the portfolio, right? These are all good ways to get the process started. I really also appreciate that Gerard talked about from his branch manager experience, the idea that it's hard to do it alone. And in any type of role that where you're trying to build something big, being able to have help, to recruit help, to pay for help, any of those things is a key part of being able to make that happen. I also appreciate the extreme gratitude that Gerard showed for his Cutco experience to Brian Stevenson and Mark Bullard and the others that have been a part of his life. Thanks again, Liz, for making the introduction. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed getting to know Gerard Restaino today. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 